Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we begin, I, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might really, really enjoy. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using Internet trolls and hackers and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel this, this giant mystery with the help of those who know best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters even a former Russian KGB agent. Join Europe Bureau Chief of Global News, Jeff Semple. He goes on a journey to unravel how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. You can listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying the ongoing history of new music. Do it. Trust me, you'll love it. When you're in a band, you want to make sure the public record is correct. But you're often at the mercy of someone else when it comes to creating that record. First, there's your publicist and anyone at your record label dealing with marketing. They issue bios and press releases where the writer seems to have been paid by the word. They're paid to fill a page or two in 10-point font, so they revert to lots of flowery language that signifies absolutely nothing. Frankly, I find most official band bios close to useless because they really don't tell you anything about the band. A site like allmusic.com does better. But often all the writer has to work with are those official bios and other secondary sources. Then we have Wikipedia, which has its drawbacks. But, you know, for the most part, Wikipedia entries can be very good because editors incorporate information from a variety of sources, including a lot of feature stories and interviews. In my opinion, though, nothing beats getting every member of the band together in a room at the same time and getting them to tell their own story. It's hard given the schedules musicians keep. But with a little persistence and a lot of persuasion, they can be done. So, Wikipedia editors, listen up. If you want to make additions and changes to the entry on Arkells, here's your chance. This is a conversation between me and all five members of the band with their story in their own words. So, start taking notes. Here are all the citations you need. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is another Ongoing History program in an occasional series called In Their Own Words. Now, this is where I wrangle up an entire band, get them into a studio, and get them to tell their story in a way that is as, well, as unvarnished as possible. This time, it's the Five Guys from Markel's, a band that's sort of from Hamilton, 
You'll see what I mean about that in a moment, which, since forming in 2006, has become one of Canada's most popular and successful bands of the last decade. Not only can they fill a stadium, more on that in a bit, they have a stature that allowed them to blag free airline tickets to the Olympics after doing nothing more than a quick tweet. We'll, we'll get to that, too. Bottom line is that if you're a fan, you're going to become very engrossed very quickly. And if you're not, I still guarantee you'll be sucked in because everybody likes a good story, right? Arkells, and only for a moment from their 2018 album Rally Cry. Now, let's start hearing from Max Kerman, guitarist Mike DeAngelis, bass player Nick Dicka, drummer Tim Oxford, and keyboardist Anthony Carone. Max, you go first. Yeah, I grew up in downtown Toronto, and uh, I played in a couple of high school bands, and uh, I had a good time doing that. I learned how to play guitar when I was 15, 16 years old, and uh, I ended up leaving Toronto to go to Hamilton to attend McMaster University and I wasn't that interested in school but I did know I'd be meeting a lot of new people uh, that might want to start a band with me well, what did you study in university uh, political science oh come on yeah see I, I did too oh, yeah here thinking we are. that uh, <laughs> yeah and look what we're doing yeah, for a yeah. living yeah it was more to appease my parents who thought I should go away to school. And also, you know, getting the experience of living on campus and all that is is a privilege and uh, something I had a great time doing. But I did immediately start profiling people on campus at, and seeing, does this look like the kind of person that would want to be in a band with me? And on the first day, I met Mike. And on the second day, I met Nick. And uh, so I was very lucky. You're literally the, the first and second day that you were in university. Yeah. So the story is that, you know, and then the great thing about Welcome Week is you can talk to anybody. Everybody is uh, is very friendly. And I asked Mike, I met Mike and uh, I said, who who are your favorite bands? Are you into music? And he said, yeah, I'm in this, into this band. You probably haven't heard of them. Uh, they're from Winnipeg. They're called the Weaker Thans. And they were my favorite band at the time. Reconstruction Site, their album had just come out. I'd just seen them in Hamilton that summer. And I was obsessed with that band. And, I, and then I kind of pushed him over. I was like, oh, my God, do you play an instrument? And he said, I kind of play guitar. And I said, you're in the band. <laughs> and then the next day, uh, Nick introduced himself to me because I was wearing a Sam Roberts band T-shirt. And Nick said, I like Sam Roberts. And then I said, do you play uh, any uh, instruments? And he said, I kind of play the bass. I said, all right, you're in the band. Mike, your story. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, and similarly, you know, I sort of played in high school with friends. I, you know, I played in the school band and that was, I played the flute. It was a real, real rough time. But, you know, that really pushed me to pick up the electric guitar, like as many a, a young guy does to, to try to make himself feel a little cooler. And, uh, yeah, I think for me going to school, similar to Max, was a real experience to meet a lot of different people. And when I met Max, uh, He's not lying when he sort of like half pushed me over uh, uh, and he was wearing a really funny like conductor's hat and just had a lot of like this sort of like outward energy that uh, I noticed right away as, hey, that'd be a good guy to be a front man. Because I knew I knew I didn't want to do that in, in my high school band. Uh, I defaulted to that position, but was very uncomfortable and probably not very good. Well, we, definitely not very good. What were you studying in university? Uh, political science as well. Okay. 
why? <laughs> I mean, you guys must be great on the tour bus when it comes to, to talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, it kills the drive well, so we, fast. Yeah, we've it's killed like, a, yeah. It's like we've you, almost killed each other, but we've definitely killed a lot of drives. Yeah, you, you blink and you're in the next town. It's great. Okay, over to Nick. Yeah, so similar to these guys, I, I went to Mac. I grew up in London, Ontario, and I went to school with kind of uh, designs on being a prof. And so I wanted to kind of stay in school. Uh, but then I kind of met these guys and everything kind of just happened by accident for me. I didn't have grand plans to have a life in music, but, you know, uh, as we started playing more and more through university and, you know, afterwards it just kind of became harder and harder to think about walking away from it. So that's what kind of led me to a life in music. Did any of you guys graduate? Yeah, we all did. We're all mama's boys. Yeah. And what were you taking? I was in uh, poli science philosophy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had lots of classes together um, over the first. Nick was the most studious. We we stole his notes for sure. Oh, man. When Max, I remember when Max needed to borrow stuff, school related, like notes or something. He'd always ask to meet me at the ice cream shop because he knew that would put me in a good mood. Yeah, <laughs> TCBY. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was born in Quebec. Grew up in Newmarket, Ontario, and. I did not go to McMaster. I um, I, want, I knew I wanted to be a musician at a pretty young age, so I, I started playing guitar uh, very badly for a couple of years, and then moved over to the drums at about twelve. And uh, yeah, I was I was sort of you know all in right away. Um, so how did you meet these characters? I met them through um, just like I went to audio school, and then from there I started playing with just anyone I could and, and everyone I could, and, and uh, so I started to build this network of people um, who I'd fill in for or whatever, you know, do pub gigs and stuff like that. And then um, one of them led me to this our our uh, previous keyboard player, and through him uh, he said I got these these friends in Hamilton. They need a drummer, um, and so you know I lived in Newmarket, so it was a bit of a drive at first, but yeah, sort of came out to start working on the five song EP and then I took one look at Tim and I said no way and I slammed slammed my guitar down and walked out of the room (laughs) well we had a not so serious drummer um, and God bless him nice guy but he didn't have a working hi-hat so um, okay wait that's that's kind of like a requirement, isn't well, it? Well, that's the point. Yeah, that's why I didn't quite last. Uh, the hi hats were also broken. They're broken. So too. It, every show, they were it was constantly open and broken. Yeah. So we had a bit of a unique sound in yeah, those yeah. days. Imagine some of like the songs on Jackson Square, except just crash cymbal through the like, whole sh- song. Sh- yeah, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of that going on. So, um, so then when we met Tim. It was like, whoa, this guy's really professional because he was a very accomplished drummer, but his equipment also worked. Something and tells me that that wasn't his first impression of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was your I, first I, impression I, of us, Tim? If I'm being totally honest, I went home and I remember Sarah being like, hey, my, my, my lady saying, hey, um, how'd it go? You were trying out with that band or whatever. And I was like, uh, it was good. I don't think I'm, I probably won't go back. <laughs> really? But, but initially. But then, but then like, I, uh, I forget what, the, I think the next thing we did was record uh-huh. like, because it was very quickly after. We yeah, recorded. we recorded like at your house too. Yeah. Yeah, because because here's a drummer who's not only a great drummer, but also went to school for recording and had uh, facilities like in his basement. We're like, oh my God, this is the this is a big package here. Okay. And then finally, we'll, we'll talk to Anthony. So yeah. your story is. Yeah. yeah I, I came into the picture a little later, but um, when I was younger, I grew up in Mississauga um, in uh, Streetsville, nice little kind of punk rock music scene there. And I played in 
guitar and some punk rock bands all the while taking piano lessons. Um, when I graduated high school, I went to Humber College, kept playing in bands, and that's actually where I met Tim. Uh, we, I played in a cover band, bass, oddly enough, <laughs> which I don't know how you made the connection that I played keys, but uh, which is really funny. So um, uh, I, I, Tim went off and started playing with these guys. I was still kind of doing some cover stuff, playing in like um, punk rock bands. I went on Warp Tour, and in the middle of that Warp Tour, um, well, who were you playing with for Warp? Uh, Ill Scarlet. Oh, I, cool. I, I was with them for like, for a couple okay. of years. Yeah, and um, Tim calls me in the middle of that tour and goes, you know, we're our uh, keyboardist is going back to school and we need someone to come in. And so I had kind of learned everything on the road. And then like two days after I got back, I went and jammed with them um, at Dan's basement. Place, yeah, basement. Yeah. And um, I, I, I was in full warp to retire too. I had like my head was shaved. <laughs> I was wearing like a bandana cut off shirt. And aesthetically, I still am surprised that <laughs> they went. So what year was this? Uh, 2012. But let's go back to these first recordings. So you guys get together, and Dan's your keyboard player. Dan Griffin at the time was your keyboard player. And where did, where did Dan come into the picture? So Dan went to Mac with us. Okay. And he joined the band a little after the three of us started jamming. And well, with, and with our original drummer. Uh, there was another band called the Surly Young Bucks, which if anybody wants to go dig in, there's some stuff on the internet. It's kind of <laughs> like a, a half-band cover band. And, like and the it, band. The band. Like the, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and kind of like just like country sort of styled music and and dan had a few songs and there's some like we played some original songs and i think that's where i met dan for the first time yeah there, there was a bit of a music scene around mcmaster at the time there was a ska band called the johnstones who I remember had, them yeah. yeah who had a bit of a run there and there was a, a an mc named mj miles jones who's, who does production work now in toronto robin delento who's a great uh, singer songwriter herself so there's like a lot of kind of music happening. And it was also at the height of the kind of like indie rock era, the golden age, I'd say, you know, so every week at the club, it seemed like at the Casbah or the underground, there was bands like Winter Sleep or Joel Plaskett, Constantine, Stars, Sam Roberts, Arcade Fire, all these bands just coming through Hamilton that we got to go. So this is so like 2006, 2007? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we started at t uh, 2004 is when I met them. Uh, and then, yeah, we graduated 2008. So that whole period of time, we got to see a lot of shows. I did find some Surly Young Bucks. You can certainly hear bits of Arkells in songs like this. It's called Coastin'. Welcome, everyone, to the Surly Young Bucks reunion show. Thank you for, for joining us. This is a special evening. This is a special evening. Thanks for remembering. No, all I've never needed any pretty scenery. And we embrace the summer heat And those walks that take forever Through suburban streets Surly Young Bucks, a pre-Arkells band, recorded when they had a reunion show in 2007, about a year after the Arkells started as a going concern. Now that we have a foundation, let's build on their story when part one of In Their Own Words from the Arkells continues in just a sec. This is part one of another In Their Own Words profile, and this time I'm talking with all five members of Arkells. Okay, that's a bit of a weird name. Where exactly did that come from? So when did Arkells actually form as Arkells? We called ourselves Charlemagne as our first band name, and um, that was our name from our first gig. It was a McMaster Battle of Bands till about 2007, 
Would have been late 2007 or 2008. So, because, yeah, so we graduated, so late 2007, we had just started working with Dynalone Records, and they were going to, and we told uh, Joel, we said, we're going to graduate in three months, and then after that, we're all yours, and he, he agreed to that, and he said, we're going to put a flyer for your EP, we're going to re-release uh, your Deadlines EP, uh, and we're going to put the flyer in the City and Color record. And that's going to go out across Canada and there's going to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of these things available. While that was happening, there was another Charlemagne on MySpace who had threatened to sue us if we didn't change our name. So we got back to Joel and we said, Joel, we have to change our name. There's something we haven't told you. We can't be called Charlemagne anymore. So he said, okay, but this thing is going to the printer in 45 minutes. So you need a new name in 45 minutes because we need to put this flyer in the City and Color record that's going to print. So then we frantically got on the phone. <laughs> I was I was at the library at McMaster. I still remember, and I, we called everyone. I was like, guys, we've got to change the name now because we've been sitting on this kind of decision for a long time, and we just hadn't got around to it. Yeah, we sort of put it off. Like we once this guy was sending us all those uh, Cease messages. And yes, exactly. <laughs> and then we're like, wow, well, whatever. He's like, he's you know, he's in the states somewhere. Whatever. Well, you know, we we put it off for far too long, and then uh, as you mentioned, it was like, okay, we got to figure out a name like right now on this phone call. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and then Max and I lived in a house on Arkell Street. And that's basically in a last minute ditch effort. We were like, kind of sounds like, 60s Motown, Arkells. Do we put a definite article before it or is it just Arkells? On an ad mat, it's just Arkells. Okay. If you're speaking English, you can say, I went to go see the Arkells last night. And that's fine. So let's talk about the Deadlines EP. Uh, that was an independent release. Uh, yeah. That you did yourself, and you recorded it uh, at where did we record it? We, we recorded it Scarborough. Right? Yeah, we did. Was we, his name Ryan? Oh, Ryan Mills. Mills. Yeah, oh, we, Ryan we Mills. did. We did. Yeah. We did a batch of songs like, as under the Charlemagne Deadlines EP, and then we, when we re-released it, we used a couple that we did in my basement as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So this is about 2007. Yeah. I think it was like five, six songs, six yeah. songs. Yeah. yeah. Was it uh, there? So did you have? Was the I don't even know. Was it? Was it a CD? Yeah, CD. Yeah. Okay, and then there was a digital re-release through. Dynalone. Yeah, they, I think they physically re-released it too. CD yeah. as well, yeah. yeah CD. Let's go back to that first EP. It was self-released at first and then reissued by Dynalone Records. The original release date was July 3rd, 2008. And it led off with this version of a soon-to-be-familiar song. So this builds up to to Jackson Square in in 2008. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who's never been to downtown Hamilton, explain what Jackson Square is. It's a mall. It's like a it's like a it's like an uh, downtown core mall that you'd find in a lot of sort of Canadian cities. That's a little bit dated, kind of like a low ceiling sort of brutalist architecture. Yeah, <laughs> around the time, especially it was like seemed to be like emptying out and places were closing up and, and, uh, and all around that area is sort of, you know, it, it felt, I don't know. It, it was the core of Hamilton. And I think for us, there was a part of it that we, we found to be really like inspiring about Hamilton, sort of like the, the, the fight in the city. And like it, it, around that time as well, in 2008, I feel like the city was, there was like a these like 
this light in the distance that we could sort of see at, that it was changing, that there was this creative community. And, and I think in a way it was sort of just like, it was a few years before the downtown gentrification really kicked in. Yeah. But there's definitely some songs on the record. I think that, uh, like there's a song called Abigail that in my mind, I don't know, it didn't take place in Jackson square mall, but it seemed like the sort of story that would take place there. You know, uh, yeah, it's kind of the center of town too. And it was like, you know, you could walk two blocks to like any of the four clubs that we'd play at. And yeah, it just seemed to be kind of like the real heart of the city. Now, none of you guys are from Hamilton. No. Yet you seem to have adopted Hamilton as your home. Why? Well, it's easier than saying, we're the Arkells from Newmarket, London, Mississauga, Guelph, and Toronto, <laughs> which is really it. It's like, because, you know, you want to, the band needs to be from somewhere. And the band was born in Hamilton, and that's where we well, rehearsed a lot. Yeah, the same way, like, as a person, you know, like, I grew up in London. All my kind of, like, formative experiences happened in London. But as a band, all our formative experiences happened in Hamilton, you know? Like, we're never going to know the clubs in any other city the way we know the clubs in Hamilton or, you know, our connections to the music scene and all those really important things for us happened in Hamilton. You know, first time we played, the first time we ever sold anything out, that's all those kind of like core things that are important to a band. I think we experienced in Hamilton. Well, I know the people of Hamilton. I've, I've lived there. I've worked there. And if you show Hamiltonians loyalty, it comes back 10 times. Yeah, it's true. They they are really proud of, you know, their their own, you know. And I think they're they're extra proud of, you know, artists or anybody really that goes out into the world and tries to achieve something too and then comes back. I think I think they really appreciate that as well. Let's talk a little bit about Jackson Square and the, and the singles on it. You had a, a pretty good run of singles. I I think the first I ever heard of you guys was through Oh the Boss is Coming. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about that looking at that title going that's a strange title. There's got to be a story. And I've never had a chance to ask you about it. Yeah. The story of oh, the boss is coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all were working terrible jobs uh, when we were uh, either th- through the summers in university, like Mike picked up needles on the top of Jackson Square. Uh, I, had a, a, I had a run of real bad ones. I also worked in a distribution warehouse, which is a bleak place. Yeah, like temp jobs. So it was, that is sort of just sort of like reflecting on that. I, I, you know, I got fired as a waiter. The job was fine. I was probably deserving of the firing. Max called me right after we met for a drink. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Mike, I got some bad news. Come up, meet with me. You just said, I got some bad news. I can't give you free bread and salad anymore. At Eastside Mario's anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You got fired from Eastside Mario's. Yeah, in Dundas, Ontario. Good to know. Shout out. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, and I think... uh, musically it really reflected like the music that we were listening to at that time, like the Constantines and winter sleep, uh, a little bit more like guitar driven indie rock. The, the ballad of Hugo Chavez makes a lot more sense now that I know that we've got three political (laughs) scientists in the band Yeah, because this was back in the day that Hugo was really turning things upside down in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know of too many shout outs that you would have to a semi brutal, super socialist, South American dictator, but <laughs> what what uh, what brought this on? At the time, he was a bit of a darling of people on the left because because I, I think people uh, in Venezuela and around the world like saw him as a real like hopeful leader. I think history hasn't been that good to that song because I think in the, the years since, I don't know if his reputation. Well, I think Sean it, Penn liked him. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, uh, Courtney think, Love liked him. Yeah, at the time he was. For the most part, I mean, I think there's some people in Venezuela who never liked him to begin with, but I did like the idea, uh, and I've always liked the idea of writing 
about a character in a very specific time and place in his life. And the, and the song takes place like when he was in jail in the nineties and learning about, you know, different socialist revolutions himself. And that, that time in jail really informed the rest of his life. And I think, I don't know, we've always tried to write about interesting nuanced characters that are complicated. Um, I think that song tries to do that. Okay. Well, Simon Bolivar and uh, Che Guevara, your next assignment. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> The other single, the final single, four singles from a debut album is pretty good, uh, was John Lennon. Oh, yeah. Uh, that kind of speaks for itself, I guess. Yeah, kind of. Well, that song was very Westdale, Hamilton focused, which is the area around the university. And it's sort of about sort of painting a picture of what it liked, what it was like living there in the summertime. And this, I like the idea of I'm John Lennon 67 is this like this idea of feeling sorry for yourself because John Lennon was on top of the world in 67, but I know he was probably going through some depression and he was really miserable. And it's sort of, I'm kind of poking fun at myself, I think in that song where I'm, I'm laughing about, uh, sort of just being young and confused and having no real, no real reason to feel sorry for yourself, but feeling that way. Are you the chief lyricist? The only lyricist? Yeah. I mean, I start the songs, but the more we do it, the more there's a pretty good heavy dose of editing going on from the guys where I go, is there a better way to say this? Or is this part clear? So it is very collaborative in that sense. I think, I think all of us kind of think about our responsibilities in a very um, collaborative way. Is it an all for one, one for all songwriting split? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, it just r- reminded me of John Lennon. I can remember being in a subway with you and Nick and I think I think Nick made a joke ab- oh, yeah. about there's a line in that song uh, get Frank McCourt to write the foreword because right. there's a girl who's talking about writing a book about her life but like she had like a very charmed life and it was sort of like the joke was like get Frank McCourt to write the foreword as who wrote Angel's, Angel's Ashes, Ashes yeah. like the most depressing possible book, book ever about, about hardship so yeah the song is about like me kind of liking this girl and she telling me about her her trip to Europe and um, she said, and, she, and it, was, it was in September, she said, you know, everywhere we went in Europe, this one song followed us around. It was crazy. And I was thinking she'd like name drop a very cool song that was sort of obscure, but it was like, it was Hey Jude by the Beatles. I was like, that's the most popular song of all time. <laughs> and then she was talking about wanting to write a book about her, her life, but again, she had a very charmed life. And I was telling Nick about this and Nick said, huh, she should get a Frank McCourt to write the foreword to her book. And uh, I was like, that is hilarious. So a lot of my l- good lyrics are actually just stolen from my smart friends. This is part one of a two-parter In Their Own Words episode featuring Arkells. We've covered the roots of the band, their debut EP and their first full album, Meanwhile, the band was playing whatever gigs they could land, and there were a lot of them. So uh, you guys have a reputation of playing anywhere and everywhere. Uh, There was a period, and it's actually, it's still going on, but there was a period after this first album came out that you were everywhere. If your label asked you to be someplace, you were. If uh, a radio station asked you to show up, you did. 
How many shows do you think you guys have played? I have. I couldn't even venture a guess. Okay. Yeah, anyone? I'm gonna, I'm it's, do, it's hundreds per year. Yeah, I'm going to do back of the napkin math here and guess we did say we do like a hundred a year for we've been doing this for 12 years 1200 shows okay and well, who do we, we include pop-ups <laughs> yeah. well, there's the yeah. pop-ups the radio, they're the radio station appearances oh, yeah. uh the the busking things that you guys will spontaneously sure. do from time to time so can we double that yeah yeah and I, I, there's definitely years there are 100 feels low i mean i wonder yeah. how, how many we did this year yeah I mean, we work between 175 and 200 days a year these days, and we probably have been doing that more or less for the last 10 years. So whether, like, all those days we're doing something musically uh, directed to, in some degree, some kind of performance for the most part. Okay, so the Ramones in their lifetime played about 2,250 shows. So you've probably beaten the Ramones already. Wow. We have the advantage, though, because they can't really do acoustic stuff. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah. Here's one of those pop-up appearances. Arkells, recorded live at 102.1 The Edge in Toronto. Arkells in a live version of Whistleblower, a track from their 2011 album Michigan Left. Still much more to come with this in their own words profile with Arkells. On part two, we'll cover the recording and release of the Michigan Left album, High Noon, a strange little EP called Study Music. We'll get to Morning Report and the Rally Cry album. We'll go more into songwriting, how to release songs in the age of streaming, the massive triumph of filling a stadium in Hamilton, and how to get a free trip to South Korea. All that next time on part two of Arkells In Their Own Words. Meanwhile, if you want to explore other In Their Own Words shows with acts like Billy Talent, Sloan, Matt Good, Kings of Leon, and more, everything has been preserved as podcasts for free download. Just head to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get podcasts for that matter, including Spotify and Google and all the other delivery platforms, and download as much as you like. If you can, rate and review the podcast too. That helps us very, very much. If you would like to connect with me directly, I'm always available through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Private correspondence can be sent to alan at alancross.ca. And you can also visit my website, which is ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's updated every single day and comes with a newsletter summary delivered every morning. So you always know all the new and cool stuff that's happening in music. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.